0: Three men were doing construction on scaffolding on a building of the 20th floor. Think about that. They're up 20 floors. Uh, One man was a Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, The other, a New York Yankees. And the third, a Baltimore Orioles fan. They were having lunch and, of course, uh, talking about their favorite pastime, baseball. The Baltimore Oriole fan opens up his lunch pail, looks inside and says, "Oh no. A peanut butter and jelly sandwich. If I get another peanut butter and jelly sandwich tomorrow, I'm going to jump." Then the ball, uh, excuse me, the Boston Red Sox fan opens up his pail, and what do you have? A ball pock Frank. <laughs> and he says, "Oh no. Not another cold, ball, pock thing. If I have another one tomorrow, I'm also going to jump. Then you had the New York Yankees fan. He looks inside his container and there is spam and cheese. He slaps himself on the head and he says, This is horrible. If I have more spam and cheese tomorrow, I'm going to jump. Next day rolls around. And the Baltimore Orioles fan opens up his lunch container and sure enough, it's peanut butter and jelly. And he dives right off the 20th floor. The Boston Red Sox fan looks inside and sure enough, there's another cold ballpark Frank. He jumps. Thirdly, you had the (laughs) Yankees fan who now opens up his lunch pail, sure enough, spam and cheese, and he jumps. Several days later, since they were so connected, they had a joint funeral. And at the funeral, the Baltimore Orioles fan's wife said, Had I known? that he really despised peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I certainly would have packed him something differently. Then the Boston Red Sox fan's wife spoke and said, I, I didn't know. Had I known that he hated cold ballpark Franks, I would have given him something different. About that time, every eye in the funeral home is now staring at the New York Yankees fans wife and then she said why is everybody looking at me he packed his own lunch (laughs) oh some people's death seems truly to be in vain not so Uh, with Lazarus. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 11. And as you're turning to John chapter 11, I'm just going to read to start here verses 1 through 15. It's a a long account. There are 44 verses here in the story, Uh, but we'll look at this bit by bit. Okay, maybe you don't want to pack your own lunch. Here we go. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go, that I may wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Would you join me in prayer? Thank you, Father. We have thoroughly been blessed by these biblical accounts on the seven signs of of Jesus. We thank you that each one points to Jesus being the eternal Son of God, the Messiah. May you help us by your Spirit today to delve in to John chapter 11, to enter in to that first century account there with Jesus and Mary and Martha and then Lazarus. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to first of all look at the death of Lazarus. And the name Lazarus uh, is related to the Old Testament name Eleazar. Uh, the name means God is my help. If there is ever a time that someone needed help, uh, it was Lazarus uh, Lazarus, by the way, is only mentioned here in John eleven and then also over in John chapter twelve. Uh, in verse two, we are introduced to Mary, uh, who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil. We learn about this account in the following chapter in John chapter 12 and then by way of synopsis Mary in appreciation for the Lord but also anointing his body for death took out a costly perfume would have been valued at 300 days pay think about that 300 days pay for the average day And she anointed uh, the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the Mary that we are speaking about here. And uh, we are uh, greatly uh, blessed by entering into this home in the first century to learn how Jesus had fellowship and relationships with others. Uh, Jesus is close to this particular family. Even when the sisters write to the Lord Jesus, to notify him of Lazarus' condition. Observe here in verse 3. Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Didn't even have to mention Lazarus by name, but the individual that Jesus loved. Why does all of this occur? Zero in on verse 4. This is a key verse to help us to grasp uh, the meaning of Lazarus' death. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Uh, we will pick up on this idea later of the glory of God, but Lazarus's demise is for the glory of God, because now, the person of God, and Jesus Christ is on the scene. And you observe here he is called the Son of God in verse 4. He is the Son who belongs to the category of God. It's what we call the Hebrew construct form. So when he's described here as the Son, he is truly the Son, but he belongs to that classification of being God. Apparently, according here to verses 5 and 6, when you put it all together, Lazarus uh, was already dead when the messengers found Jesus. You kind of connect this with 11-11, and Jesus seems to know this. And then down here in verses 7 and 8, very intriguing, because Jesus says, let us go to Judea again. He doesn't mention Bethany specifically, but Judea is the southernmost region of Israel. The disciples are stunned. Why? Because they remember very well what happened in Judea. The Jews, the Jewish religious leaders, attempted to kill Jesus. And they know that if Jesus goes, they are going. So they're very concerned not only for Jesus, but themselves also. And Jesus, though, understands his mission It's a limited mission in the scope of time. Three and a half years, the light of the world would be ministering, and then his light, if you will, will be expelled for a short time, but only to conquer death, eventually ascend to the right hand of God, and to tag us to be his little... Lights And Jesus points out here in verse 9, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in a day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. And who is Jesus? We saw last week from John chapter 8 and verse 12, he self-identifies as the light of the world. Here in verse 10, but if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him, Jesus now engages his disciples in a conversation. And he points out, first of all, that Lazarus sleeps. A euphemism here. Uh, the Greek term is from koi maomai. Uh, by the way, we get our English word cemetery uh, from this word. Four times in the New Testament, it denotes physical and literal sleep. But 14 times it is used of death. And you have to recall, for those who are children of God, Paul sums up what happens to our immaterial part, the soul and spirit of us, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So now Jesus says in verse 15, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Now these disciples already believe in Jesus, but they need to have their faith exercised like a muscle. It needs to develop. And that's what Jesus is going to do for his followers is to develop their faith even more in his person and then his Work. Now, down in verse 16, we are introduced to Thomas. And notice he is called a twin. Uh, Didymus is uh, equal to the Hebrew uh, ta'om, which means twin. And here is Thomas, and he's ready to go with Jesus. And please observe, he says, I'm ready to die with you. Thomas often uh, gets a bum rap uh, because of his struggles later on. So, why don't you turn over with me, please, to John chapter 20 and come over to verse 24? John chapter 20, verse 24. Jesus has now conquered death. He has made numerous appearance to his disciples. Now, in verse 24. Now, Tom is called the twin. Do, da, Okay, the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said, Unless I see in his hands the printed nails, and put my finger into the printed nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So what does Jesus do? He emerges on the scene. And then he talks directly to Thomas, and he basically says... You're an empiricist. You need to see to believe. Go ahead, take your finger, put it here in my womb. (laughs) Now down in verse 29, after Thomas acknowledges Jesus as his Lord and his God, Jesus says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. That's you and that's me. Now, come back with me, please. John chapter 11. <clears throat> and as you're coming back to John chapter 11, we're going to see about Jesus' meeting with Martha. In verse 17, uh, we're given a significant detail. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Four days. Now, it's known that about 100 years after the time of Jesus, there was a belief that the uh, soul hovered over the body for three days in hopes of being reunited with the body. Now, we're not positive, but perhaps that was also believed in the first century. So I find it intriguing that the Lord Jesus waits until day before he appears on the scene. I think that could be very deliberate. Now, in verse 18, we're given a place name. And I think it's deliberate. Notice this. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And you might be saying, why is this inserted right here into our Well, number one, it explains why many of the Jews uh, from Jerusalem were here at this event. Uh, We picked that up in uh, verses 45 and verse 46. But then it also, I think, is a clue. It's a hint about where Jesus is going. Ultimately, the Son of Man, the Son of God, will go to Jerusalem in order to to die, he's moving in that direction. Now we have Martha here in verse 20, and as soon as she hears that Jesus is coming, you now she's an active woman. She went out to meet him. I recall Luke chapter 10 in verse 40. But Martha was distracted, means pulled in many directions with much serving, and then in verse 21. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I have to just point out for just a moment the little word, if. If is a second class condition. What that means, it is contrary to fact. Assumed, not to be true. See, the idea if you had been here, but see, you were not Jesus. And you can kind of tell that Martha's a little upset because thinking that if Jesus had been there in Bethany, he could have prevented this from happening. You kind of see a little limitation on Martha's part concerning who Jesus is and what she can do, what he can do. Down here in verse 22. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now this doesn't mean that she believes at this moment that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus. Because later on there's a pause because Jesus had been in the tomb for four days and now was, or Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days and is now perhaps Cain. So, I think she understands that Jesus is God. But in some way, she's not grasping why Jesus is now here. Now, down in verses 23 through 27, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. See, he, Jesus, is trying to bolster her faith. She says, I know that he will rise again. In the resurrection at the last day. See, she didn't expect Jesus to do anything for Lazarus right now. And here are the words you're familiar with. It's the fifth I am statement in John of significance. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, here's the key question. Do you believe this. Jesus says emphatically, the individual who believes in me shall not die. Ume construction means no way. Then he turns to Martha and says, do you believe this? She said to him, verse 27, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. See, he's the Son In the category of God who is to come into the world. Now we transition from the meeting of Jesus with Martha to Mary. Down in verse 28. And when she, Martha, had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying the teacher has come and is calling for you. What is so intriguing here? In the first century, rabbis traditionally did not teach women, period. Jesus was different. He would instruct Martha. He would instruct Mary. He would instruct the woman of Samaria at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus broke tradition. Because he was interested interested in training people with the Bible. That's who our Lord is. Uh, observe down here as we're seeing the interaction, the interplay taking part. Notice in verse 30, Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in a place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. There's a following, if you will. Jesus is going to permit numerous people to be there when he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, we get to see the emotion Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Down in verse 33, he groans when he goes to the tomb. Why does he groan? Uh, This is used, by the way, of the snorting of horses. It shows indignation or anger. Some commentators believe that Jesus is angry that the mourners are there, and I don't think that's the case. I think it's better to see that Jesus is bothered. By the ravages of sin, suffering, and death. We're told here that he was troubled. He's bothered by the situation to the degree that we have this tender statement in verse 35. Jesus wept. He wept. It's the shortest verse in the English Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is the shortest in the Greek New Testament. But Jesus wept. He understands us. Jesus can say, been there, done that. That's so the writer of Hebrews says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. When the writer points it out in Hebrews 4.15 where he says, we do not have, it means a currently have. The writer acknowledges that even right now, Jesus is a great high priest. See, he understands the human condition because the Son of God became the Son of Man, if you will. He took on flesh. And the Lord Jesus Christ New temptation. He understood life because he entered into life. Tempted all points like we, yet without sin. Now, in verses 36 through 38, we have a mixed reaction. Some of the Jews said, see how he loved him, speaking of Jesus' love for Lazarus. And then the question Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And then we have Jesus groaning. And he's definitely bothered by this situation. But he wants to broaden the faith of his disciples. So in verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Now, people in the first century in Israel, were generally buried immediately upon death. That's what they did. In Acts chapter 5 with both Ananias and Sapphira, when they died, each one separately was buried that same day. Because of the climate, they generally buried people. That same day. So Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench. I have to let you know this morning I was in my study reviewing this and I thought, you know what? If there was ever a time to pull off the shelf my 1611 edition of the King James Version, it's now. And, and I pulled it out, and I just had to read those words for myself because really Martha is saying by, now, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just have to laugh at the word stinketh. But her point is well taken. See, she doesn't understand what is transpiring here, and she doesn't want a decayed brother brought out of the tomb. Now in verse 40. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see, and here is what I mentioned earlier, the glory of God, significant here. Leon Morris writes, the crowd would see the miracle, but only believers would see its real significance, the glory. And now Jesus gives a prayer. In verses 41 and 42, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. What a delight. Jesus stays in constant communication with the Father. Offers his prayer of thanksgiving because Jesus knows the Father's will. And now it will be displayed. And down in verse 43, Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Why mention the name? (laughs) Going way back even to the time of Augustine in the 4th century, Augustine pointed out that if just Jesus gave a general call for people to be raised from the dead, they would have all been raised. Jesus is interested in one man at this time, so he calls Lazarus to come forth. Now a miracle occurs because they had wrapped the body before they put him in the tomb. And he who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, "Loose him and let him go. Here's our main point. Believe. 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 I want you to get the word believe. Believe that Jesus gives life to the dead To glorify God. You have to believe that. Jesus does give life to the dead. To glorify God. Stop and think. Seven billion of us now on planet earth. All born into this world similarly. We're all spiritually dead. David says in Psalm 51 in verse 5. That we are brought forth in sin. The concept being that we are spiritually dead, that we have all inherited from Adam a sin nature. Not only that, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, you were dead in trespasses and sins. In essence, all the world falls under that same category for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Of God, All of us come into this world physically alive, but spiritually dead. There is only one who gives life to the dead. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one means that this can happen. It's by faith. Believing in what Jesus has done for you and what he's done for me. Think about it. In Ephesians 2.89, for by grace, see that's God's favor. You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Salvation, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen to me carefully. Are you physically alive, but yet spiritually dead? All religions have one point of commonality. They all teach we have to work our way to heaven. If you want to get to God, then you need to have a system, a standard of good works, gently prescribed by that religion. Christ on the cross cries out, it is finished, paid in full. The price has been met. Now, for you to receive the gift of eternal life, you have to embrace it, but it's only by faith. Faith in what? The finished work of Jesus. Paul says, For I delivered to you that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day. When you... Turn from your sin, and in particular the sin of unbelief, and to Jesus Christ, your sin bearer, and place your faith, your trust, your reliance, your dependence fully upon what He's done for you. That is when you're born again. When you believe that He died for your sin and conquered death. That's when, if you will, You come alive spiritually. But then also, may I just have you turn to Ephesians chapter 5 in closing. Paul writes to a church that, yes, previously all the members were spiritually dead. When he went to Ephesus, there were magical practices, and Paul worked unusual miracles. We learn about this in Acts chapter 19 And many got saved. But I would like you to think about the light of the world, even ministering to Christians, trying to get us to exhibit great faith. Ephesians 5, down in verse 14. Therefore, he says, here is the command, everybody. It's a present imperative. Which means keep on doing this, now awake. Who needs to wake up? You who sleep. He's speaking about spiritual indifference. He's writing to children of God, those who already are born again, but now need to wake up spiritually. They need to understand the calling that they have received. That life is brief, and that we have a mission. Remember Jesus' mission? For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You and I have been now entrusted with the mission to go and make disciples of all the nations. We have been given a mission by the Lord Jesus Christ, but you can't do that. If you are engaged in the affairs of this world, in other words, you are so consumed with this world system that you are spiritually indifferent to the things of God. Awake, you who sleep. Notice the second command. And here it's an aorist imperative. Do this once for all. Arise from the dead. Put on the light, stay in the light, walk in the light, dwell in the light, live in the light. Arise from the dead. And what does Christ do when you, if you will, take off the blinders, child of God? When you choose to obey God in all things? He says, and Christ, here's the future, what he'll do. It's a future tense verb, will give you light. That's what he does, child of God. Paul builds on this. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly. It means carefully. You walk accurately. In other words, you are like Job in the Old Testament, where it is said that he shunned evil. When wickedness was before his eyes, he chose not to look at it. He turned away. To the extent in chapter 31 of Job. He had even made a covenant with his eyes. Not the loss. See then that you walk circumspectly not as fools. Who's a fool? It's practical atheism. A fool is someone who lives as if there is no God. And when children of God live as if there is no God at times. Then they are fools. So walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time. Buying up the time. Making the most of the time. Using your time wisely. For what purpose? The glory of God. Did you catch that in the account in John 11? Not once, but twice, speaking about the glory of God. You have been saved, child of God, that now you can bring glory to God. And we do this in two ways through evangelism. We reach the lost. We do this, secondly, through our discipleship and fellowshipping with God. It's so very important that we bring glory to God, redeeming the time because the days are evil. May I encourage you, if you've not yet believed on Christ, would you believe right now? Put your faith in him. Your reliance upon the one who is the light of the world. Trust his finished work in order that you can be born again. And child of God, would you commit to waking up? To stop being spiritually indifferent? To care about daily Bible study, prayer, prayer? to be engaged in the work of the ministry of the local church, to accomplish the great commission, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the glory of God that was exhibited through Lazarus being raised from the dead. And I pray that today... God's glory would be manifested through the lives of people who repent of their sin and turn to Jesus Christ and him alone for their salvation. May the glory of God also be sought through the life of every child of God and for those that are spiritually indifferent. May they awake from their slumber. May they purpose now to walk in a light to represent the light of the world well. I pray, Father, that we would be careful in how we live, redeeming the time that we can please you in all things. Help us to be children of God, bringing glory to God. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.